Hey everyone, welcome to Pieces of You, a show about life through the lens of four fierce and resilient women who lost their moms too damn soon. Each episode will feature stories to inspire hope, healing, and connection. Because if we work together, we can make the broken better. Hey everyone, this is Shadia, and I am your host on today's episode. This is the last episode of a four-part series about the impact of early mother loss. You've already heard in the three previous episodes about overall impact, mental health, and boundaries. Today, we are diving specifically into relationships focused on family. We recognize there are many other types of relationships that can impact our lives, including friendship and romance. So stay tuned for those upcoming episodes. And our next episode is all about dads, so they may not be our focal point today. This episode contains a content warning related to the topic of mother loss. Please check show notes for a more detailed description. Welcome, ladies. How are we doing today? I'm all right. I'm ready. I love recording with you guys and seeing you and having our conversations. The last two, especially, I've just taken so much from our conversations. It's really, I feel like, been life-changing. I am not joking. Taking me further into my journey of healing. So I'm psyched for today. Yeah, too. I'm really excited. Um, I was just I was just telling you guys right before we recorded that it's funny. I feel like the universe is doing a little like trick on me because every week that we've recorded the last few times, the topics that we've discussed come up in my therapy sessions. So it's like they're lining up and it's just like, mm. it's a fun little like universe, like uh, a little yeah, playing, yeah. A, playing a trick on me, um, yeah. but not a bad one. Cause I've really loved it. It's helped me been able to like get more, like have more to process not only in therapy, but also like to discuss with you guys more things mm-hmm. come up and everything that we say, you know, I have taken away so many things the last couple of times as well. And it's just been like very like affirming and changed a lot of my mindsets around things. So I'm very excited for today. So let's start with family. I'd like to have everybody just remind our listeners, like who was your family when your mom died and present day, who is your family now? Christine, do you want to start? (laughs) No. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Okay. So I was 15 when my mom died and uh, I have two older brothers. They were both away at college um, when my mom died, though my oldest brother was in and out. And then there was my dad and then my maternal grandparents. I think that's it. My dad was an only child, but my mom had two younger brothers, but they didn't live nearby. They were not really present in my life consistently. And then my dad had his dad and stepmom, but they lived in Washington State, so kind of far away. Again, not really present in my life. Yeah, so that's about it. Small. Yeah. And what about now? Yeah, now a lot of people have died. So really, my two older brothers my oldest brother lives in the Chicago area, and my brother Craig is in Grand Rapids, Michigan area, and they have families. Um, yeah, so I guess I have niece and nephews now, too. I guess I've been married, so sorry, I forgot about that. Uh, but I'm recently divorced. Um, I do have my in-laws, and I would say, though, that we are not close. 
We've never really have been, not due to the divorce. So yeah, there's family there, but not anyone that I can rely on like you would think of relying on family. And then I have my, I have four kids. So I was going to say, didn't you like create a few humans too in there? You know, I, I'm at a point now, not when I was 15, but now I think of a lot of my friends as family, but I know that's separate, but I think of those relationships as familial in a lot of ways. Absolutely. And I think there's just a lot of overlap when it comes to that as well, which I think is great. I feel like you're lucky if you have friends as family. What about you, Erin? I was 16 when my mom died. I'm an only child and parents were separated, as I mentioned before. So at the time when my mom died, my dad and I were actually like in the middle of like, we had had a falling out. So we weren't on good terms. That was a difficult process. Like he really wasn't kind of a part of that. And we were kind of forced to, we were forced to rebuild the relationship at that time. Like regardless of what we had done, we were kind of forced to do that. I have an aunt and uncle and three younger cousins that I lived with after my mom died for a year and a half and lots of extended family on my mom's side, kind of always been very close, lots of family gatherings throughout my life that sort of extended family structure was always there. I have a large extended family, but really tiny immediate family. There's just me. So (laughs) that structure has been interesting Mm -hmm. to observe how it's changed. And then now uh, my dad family, we've, you know, repaired our relationship to the best of our abilities. And we have a relationship now as two adults. Is your dad remarried? No, neither of my parents ever at least from my knowledge, like ever were involved with someone else. Mm-hmm. So nope, he's always been like a bachelor, just him. So now it's, you know, my dad, um, obviously like I still see extended family. Like there's that we communicate with each other, lots of cousins, that aunt and uncle and cousins that I lived with. That's a real gray area for me because it's like the pseudo family. They're not my immediate family, but if they're closer. That's who I go to see on holidays and stuff but it's still pretty removed, not immediate family. And then my partner, Keith, we're getting married next summer. So that's a pretty prominent one that I'm fostering. And then it's kind of like, I've realized that adopting like his family into mine, and he has a very large immediate family. Like he's one of six kids. His parents are great. And, And he comes from a blended family. So like, very large immediate family. So it's so funny like to, to think about it. And we've talked about it too. Um, planning our wedding. We're like, you have this huge immediate family and there's just me. Um, that's kind of what it is now. A um, little bit of my dad, but mostly my relationship with my partner and kind of like adopting his family into my life as well and finding my mm-hmm. place within that structure. So, And Sarah? Yes. I was hoping you would call on me first because my heart is pounding out of its chest. And Mm -hmm. it's crazy because I'm like trying to obviously listen to everything you're saying, everyone's saying. And I'm also trying to like check in with myself and just ask, you know, I have my hand on my heart literally right now as a way to, it helps soothe me when I'm feeling dysregulated. And so I'm asking myself, you know, what is the anxiety or this energy about in me? Because ultimately I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing, but there's a lot happening internally. And I'm realizing the question itself, who is your family, is really emotional. Like it's really, 
intense. And it it's interesting because, you know, I'm a therapist and I work with clients in therapy. And, and someone told me the other day that just reading like a sentence that may not be triggering to someone else, that sentence alone actually gave her a full body reaction. And I'm noticing how that's happening for me right now. And so I just wanted to name that. And also just say that, like, I think part of the anxiety is also a a fear that I'm going to leave people out when naming my family Mm -hmm. um, and that they're going to be listening to this and they're, they're going to feel bad because my family feels, it does not feel very clear Mm -hmm. still to this day. It was. So my mom died when I was four and a half. And so up until that point, I had a nuclear family. I had a mom and a dad and a little kitty uh, named Lou. Mm -hmm. And he was basically my friend and sibling um, because they didn't have any other kids. After my mom died, my dad was pretty much my only like family. And then other people stepped in pretty quickly, though, to start helping. And those became my next attachment figures. So I had several caregivers, the, uh, my mom's sister, my mom's mom. I remember spending a lot of time with her relatives uh, when I was really young. And then I ended up moving in with my dad's brother and his wife at the time and their kids, so my cousins, who are a few years older. So I lived with them for almost a year, possibly. Um, and that started to feel like my immediate family at the time. But I still had my dad in the picture and other caregivers who had, were helping out. I was very much raised by a village of people. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, like my final move was into a home with some close family friends. It was a woman named Sue who had worked with my mom as a Montessori preschool teacher. Her and her husband were having, they had just had a baby it sounds crazy now when I talk about it, but this is just the narrative I was told my whole life, but it's like, they said they would raise me. And so I moved in and they never officially adopted me. Um, my dad was still very much How old in the were picture. You when I was at, yeah, at this point I was like 10, like eight or nine or 10. Mm. I didn't know there. that they didn't officially adopt you. I thought, th- I thought you were officially adopted. I didn't realize that. So I'm glad you're saying that because it's now just occurring to me that most people did assume that in my life, almost everyone who wasn't there, I guess, at the time, even maybe my friends who were there at the time. It, Yeah, I was never um, officially adopted. And I, I guess I didn't realize also the emotional impact I think that had on me or like the confusion that ensued from that because it was a very intentional choice. They didn't want to like cut my dad out of the picture because he was still there alive and like wanting to help out. He just couldn't be my primary caregiver. So it was out of respect, I think, more so to my dad is how it was explained to me. But I get that. It's complicated. So I my family then turned into another nuclear family, which felt great because I was like like other people. I had a mom and a dad, but I didn't call them mom and dad. Um, I called them by their first names, Sue and Neil, and then a little sister, Mari. And Neil ended up passing away when I was 16, just before I turned 16. Then it was Sue and Mari. And my dad has been in the picture this whole time, but just sadly, his mental and physical health have just been deteriorating gradually. And so he hasn't been able to be a caregiver for me for a very Mm -hmm. long time. Mm -hmm. And now I'm in a wonderful relationship with 
a man named Tony and his golden retriever Norbert. It's very much a it feels like a thruple. <laughs> well, I think I think the audience should know. I I feel like you're more obsessed and in love with Norbert than you are with Tony. I'll be honest. <laughs> you're, you're, you're in the relationship for the dog, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell Tony. <laughs> no, I I love them both dearly. Um, Norbert has. He just has the ability to give me more love, I think, than any human being mm-hmm. possibly could. For holidays or any type of gatherings, do you get together with Sue, Neil, and Mari or your dad or? Yeah, that was also a huge point of stress um, and can still be. You know, you you think it's great. You have all these people that you could go see and be with, um, but then it's like choosing who and not wanting to hurt other people and trying to see everyone. And so when I was younger, I would see Sue's family with Sue and Neil. Then we'd see Neil's family with Sue and Neil. And then I'd see my dad's family. And then sadly, my mom, because she wasn't alive anymore, that part of the family just kind of Mm. faded away in some Mm. ways. Mm. And I, I still, I'm connected with some of them on Facebook and I actually got to see her sister and some of my other uh, family on her side more recently, but I'm really eager to create my own family and to have like a very, hopefully more clear picture of who is for sure my family. Mm -hmm. Wait, are you just saying you're trying to get knocked up? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. I'm good. As soon as this IUD is out and I guess I'm I, I hate to, like I don't like you don't have to be married obviously to have kids, but um, that's I think the goal here. Quickly for me, when my mom died, my dad he was forty five. I had two siblings. My brother is sixteen, and my sister was eight. And now I have an eight year old, so that's I don't like to think about that too much, but it's pretty nuts to me to think um, she was that age. My mom's side, I'm actually very close with. I've always been closer to them than my dad's side. They were in my life and still very much are, which is really great, Aww. actually. I appreciate that too. But it, again, I've always had friends as family. Like My mom's best friends have been like family to me. Now, as an adult, my dad, he's no longer 45. <laughs> he's in his 70s and um, he is still alive. Thank goodness. And then I have my sister and she is single um, and ready to mingle if anybody's interested in a really fabulous 34-year-old. And then um, my brother's married and um, his wife, Melanie, and I are super close, which is awesome. And she's always saying like, I just always feel like there's a missing piece to our family. I feel it. I feel like Mm -hmm. your mom needs to be here, you know, to connect us all. And I'm like, I agree wholeheartedly. And I love that she feels that way. And she constantly talks about Sitto Hattie. Sitto is the Arabic name for grandma. Um, so Sitto Hattie. Um, and they have three kids as well. And then obviously I'm, I'm married and I have my own two kids. And then I have amazing in-laws as well that I'm, I'm very close to and brother-in-laws. So, and another sister-in-law, sorry. And I'm close to all those people in different ways, but I'm really, really close to my friends. To me, my friends are just as much my family. Um, And sometimes it's easier to talk to them, to be honest with you, than it is to talk to my 
family. I don't know why. It feels like they're like one step away from it, but I still have a hard time even talking about my mom to my family. It's just because we never did and it's gone so long and it's too painful. Isn't that Uh, interesting though? Like I do just want to point that out, how I would agree, I guess. It's harder for me also to talk to my family about the more painful stuff. But I think when you are able to do that, it's it fills something. Mm-hmm. It strikes me too that your sister-in-law is able to bring her in, your mom, bring your mom into the fold in that way by acknowledging. And and it, it also strikes me that she is not, you know, your blood family, right? She she never knew her, right? But she, but she like desires that. She desires her presence in your yeah. life, in your lives. I love that. I mean, I think we all desire in my family that because. My dad's not a planner. And so it's like, we want somebody, we, we're sick of being the adults and planning and coordinating us all together. Just be nice to like be taken care of, <laughs> to be honest. Mm. So I think we all crave that a little bit. Speaking of family, I guess I'd like to know what are some ways that your family has struggled since the loss of your mom? And then what are some ways that your family has come together? That's really hard. I wish we could have captured everyone's facial reactions through a recording somehow. Everyone just, (laughs) like, it hit all of us very strongly, clearly. (laughs) I don't even know what my reaction was saying. It was just like... You're like, I don't want to Where do I this. start? Oh, where do I start? Okay. (laughs) Especially with, like, the struggle. Yes. Thank you. Oh, yeah, the struggle. Well, I'm just going to start by saying my mom was the glue. And I feel like this has been a theme for a lot of um, motherless daughters that I know, that their moms were the glue in their families. And so when she died, yeah, we struggled to be a unit anymore. And not just my nuclear family, but well, really, again, it's small at the time, but you know, my grandparents and my two uncles and their families when I was younger, it just it, it really seemed to just fall apart. Because they're in my nuclear family, because there didn't ever seem to be intentional conversation about her, it just, yeah, I mean, I think we struggled to keep her presence when we also desired it in our lives still. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's just been really sad. (laughs) Were you kids then the glue? What was the connector? Because now you are close with your brothers. So how do you Mm -hmm. think that stayed or maybe it didn't. Maybe it came later on in, in time. Yeah, I think for me, it did come later. And I think, you know, we, we had, we'll we get into this in the dad's episode, and, but I have shared a little bit about my journey with my dad. But I think because of some of the, the dynamics he brought to our family after my mom died, that brought me and my brothers closer together. Like, we needed each other. So it wasn't just about my mom dying. It was about mm-hmm. that additional trauma that that really brought us together. Like we were the only ones who had each other's backs. I feel like my mom was like a buffer for me. I imagine because again, she died when I was four and a half. So I don't really know how much of a struggle there was before she died. But as soon as I started becoming more aware of things and then now also as an adult looking back, it's really apparent that my dad struggled to just literally keep himself together physically, mentally, emotionally. And it's really sad for me to think how hard that was for him. 
I feel immense. It's strange that it's guilt. I mean, I guess I can understand why it's guilt, but I feel a guilt that he tried so hard, that he had to try so hard for me, for him. I'm not sure. He made it seem like it was for me. Um, And so maybe that is actually now that's making more sense (laughs) why I feel that guilt. But um, it's not like it was like he went through a depression, like because my mom died and then like he came out of it, like he was struggling before and he was struggling a lot after. And so I think what happened is that the buffer that was my mom disappeared and I was exposed to all of the pre-existing kind of trauma and dysfunction that existed in my family system. I wish so much now more than ever that she was here to buffer me from that still. And so I try to cultivate her voice and her presence by being that advocate for myself and setting boundaries for myself um, because her death definitely created a lot of struggle and there was a lot of struggle before she died. That really hit home about being a buffer mm-hmm. to me. I, I mean, that was like a aha moment if we want to call it that. It's kind of amazing how moms do that, right? Like they just keep generally everything cool, calm, collected. Like so kids don't have to have the burden and then you see the true, you feel the burden once there's no protection. The ideal mom too, you know, because a lot of parents, they're not that, you know, they can't show up in that way. And so to have that experience is, again, it's like grateful and sad. I'm Mm -hmm. so grateful and I'm so actually freaking enraged that it was taken. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it would have been easier just to, I shouldn't say it'd been easier, but potentially if you didn't have that buffer and that's the only thing you knew, then it wouldn't have been so hard because you wouldn't be even know what you were missing out on. And I've thought Does that. that I've, yes, I've had that same thought process. And I think my therapist has maybe pointed out to me that it was really important that she was there when she was. Because it does feel sometimes like the universe played the most cruel joke on me in the world by giving me such a nurturing person and then taking them away. And it's really easy to spin that. Yeah. It's like, I would have been better off. And and it may be true, you know, in I some mean, ways, but I know what you're saying, Shadia. I do think that, and I don't know, but I'd like to believe I, well, I do know that she instilled things in me that are helping me to this day. Yeah. A lot. Mm-hmm. I just want to add real quick that, that resonated for me too, the buffer, the idea of being a buffer. I also see, though, my mom, I think she did that, but I also feel like once she was gone, for my dad, it was like a free-for-all. So she wasn't just a buffer, right? She also, her presence prevented him from doing things that he wanted to do but he right so it was like does that make sense so it wasn't yeah just it so buffering to me like she's protecting me from this thing that was already happening well i'm saying she left and then all these other again it was a free-for-all it was like then all these other things it's like he was given permission to do all the things it's like going to college without your parents right and then you can do whatever you want 100 percent. it was like she was holding him accountable 
in right. some way. Yeah, right. So the buffer thing very much resonates. And I think in particular with my dad and her relationship with my dad was like, and again, won't go super hard into it, but I mean, she had her own opinions and her own struggles like with him and in trying to raise me like around those and have me have him be involved in my life, but also maybe try and like, she, she protected me and shielded me a lot from some of the things that he said or did or was toxic in whatever ways that he was. And he had his own family traumas and everything that kind of bled into his relationships. Um, and when that went away and I was kind of forced to like, even before I was ready to like repair that relationship, like she was the buffer there and she kept a lot of things for me. And I was hit with this reality of like, these are all of the mistakes that my dad made. And these are all of the ways in which he was toxic to me or my mom or in his relationships. And having to reckon with that without her there to be a sounding board Mm. or have that trusting safe space, which I've mentioned before, I never had that after she died. And that was really tough and having to do that on my own. And my family, her side of the family can never be that, was never and will never be that for me when it comes to like my dad either, because nobody likes him. They were on like my mom's side the whole time. That's something that I've had to do very much solo, like without my mom there. But it was really hard because she protected me from a lot of that and very much was always respectful of how I chose to set my boundaries. And then when I didn't have someone validating the ways in which I was setting boundaries, it became very easy for me to not ever set them at all and feel guilted and shamed. And she she prevented me from feeling those things in my family relationships and friendships and romantic relationships and all of that. And then when she went away, it was like, no one was validating any of that stuff in any of my relationships. So it just went wild for a time and I had no boundaries and was making unhealthy choices in all of my relationships. Mm -hmm. But she was also like with the extended family, I feel like, you know, I've mentioned this before, like she was so active in having everybody communicate and, be around each other and be supportive. And there was a huge breaking, I think, in her side of the family, my extended family, of everybody not knowing how to process their trauma and their grief and to fill that hole and sometimes taking it out on each other and um, just kind of this breakdown that happened slowly over time. And a lot of it's it's really hard to repair those cracks that seep through, especially when people are unable or unwilling to like address their own traumas and grief and the ways in which they need to be accountable for some of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. And like I said, I mean, I, I'm still close with a lot of my family. I love them dearly. We have relationships but it's been hard and it was very hard immediately after she died, just reworking family structures. Everybody, everybody had to do that. And it was really hard. What are some ways that your family has come together around the loss of your mom? And maybe there hasn't been ways and that's okay. I don't feel good about that question. <laughs> I, I, would, I would agree with you. That feels really hard. 
I feel really emotional about that question. Mm. And it's interesting because you would think that's like the more positive one, right? And mm, again, going back think. to doing the hard things, yeah, it's harder to actually try and mm. come out of it feeling more connected. And I think the reason why it's coming up is really emotional for me is that the most support and like coming together in terms of like family structure that I've experienced has honestly been between me and my current partner and me and some of my friends. And that's so sad to me, like Mm -hmm. to think about not that I don't love my family and that there aren't moments of support, but for me, the most support and coming together that I've experienced has been for my partner and sometimes his family, Mm. like over mine, like his parents, and I'm I'm very I'm very emotional over that right now. Mm-hmm. It, it's really hard to say that out loud mm-hmm. and to admit that. Do you feel sadness about that or guilt? I feel or... deeply sad. Yeah. Deep sadness about that. And I, I have for a very long time. And probably a little bit of guilt, because I think I always have, you know, moments of like, well, I could have done this, I could still be, you know, doing this, but also it's not a one-way street. And I can't put all of that on me, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just up to me. And I think particularly because I am a person who has experienced deep loss. And I have sometimes these feelings of like, well, there are certain people who should have done this, right? I'm not the one who needs to make that move or have that conversation Mm -hmm. or provide that space, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And again, I keep coming back to this thing of like, especially because like, and at the time, like I was a child, like we are, you know, I keep coming back to this of like, we were children, you know? And, and even now, I mean, I have, we can talk about like the inner child part of my brain still like the 16 year old in my brain. And then the adult part of my brain, like wrestling for kind of dominance on how I process the trauma still. It's deeply sad to me to feel and experience and say out loud that the majority of the coming together and support that I felt has come from my current partnership and close friendships in my Mm -hmm. life. That's sad. Mm -hmm. Well, and it feels sad when I hear you say that because it's the realization that it took that long Mm. to get it. Mm -hmm. Like you said, it's not like it wasn't there like at all, but it sounds like you're realizing maybe more what you missed by what you're getting right now, which is confusing. You know, it's like so bittersweet, you know? And again, duality. Like I feel, I feel so supported and loved and of this coming together within my current partnership and some of my friendships. And I feel (laughs) deep sadness and pissed off that, other spaces were, you know, didn't contain this earlier. Like I missed out like on feeling that, you know what I mean? So, Mm -hmm. yeah. To what Erin was saying, I think what she said, my thought while you were speaking, Erin, was like, you were a child and it wasn't your job to show up and tell people what you needed. You didn't even know that you should have done that. It's like, yes, as adults, we know we need to do that, but you that wasn't your job. And it makes me angry. Mm-hmm. And I also think, you know, 
with the adults in your life, even though I know that they loved you, I do think that there's a disconnect when it's not a parent. And so they, they don't feel the same responsibility to be present for you or to, to parent you, to mother or father you, because that's not inherently their role, right? But you needed that. And it just, I, I don't know, I guess I feel pissed. <laughs> and again, like that, that, that the, the logical, you know, emotion, more emotionally developed, like this educated adult Aaron brain knows that. Of course. And I apply that to my relationships with them. Again, you did the best you could or whatever, but there is still this trauma from this 16 year old brain who experienced deep trauma and deep sadness that still holds that and is trying to hold something accountable for that. They wrestle with that a lot. And again, this logical part of my brain like knows this, all of these things, but still, I'm still hurt and there's still that trauma and it shows up sometimes in really unexpected ways. I just had a huge aha moment, Christine, when you said, but just the difference between it being, you know, your parent and other people showing up for you because I was about to, my response was going to be, I had all these people show up for me, you know, lucky, you know, little four and a half year old Sarah. Like I said, I was raised by a village. I had, my mom had cultivated a really wonderful group of friends. She had a great family, my dad's family. It felt really close and connected at the time. And everyone came together from my little four and a half year old perspective, like for me, And I felt so special and so loved. And that's been my narrative. And yet there's, you know, obviously something deep within me that feels, something doesn't feel right about, like, it wasn't exactly what you said, Christine. Like, it wasn't my mom. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to hold, I guess, that, I don't know if it's a duality, but this idea that I had all of these people show up and it's still... Mm-hmm. wasn't enough. One thing that I feel like I want to like clarify in terms of what I said earlier, just like hearing you guys kind of talk now about like this village concept. I did have a village like physically in the space. Like everyone was so wanting to surround me with love and things and family. And I lived with family and it was fine. And I've spent every holiday with them but the support in terms of like emotionally was not there mm-hmm. and was not shown on how to create spaces. And I think that that's specifically what I want to say. I mean, when I talk about the most support I felt is from like my current partnership and like mm-hmm. friendships is that yeah. emotional piece. That's what I want to say, because I, I just wanted to clarify that, that there was attempted love and surrounding and everything, but it was not what I needed. It was not shown in the ways that I needed, and I didn't feel listened to. It was never on my terms. It was on other people's terms or what they felt was necessary in that moment. And it was kind of put upon me instead of me creating space in that. I felt the need to clarify that because I can identify with the village concept. Mm-hmm. But that that emotional piece of that, and referring back to like they weren't my parents. So it feels off. Like how you were saying, Sarah, like it felt off. It feels wrong, but not wrong. It just feels weird and off. So, And not knowing 
still to this day, you know, I'm 31 now and I can't even find the words to describe how it feels off or weird. So as a kid, it's just like, I think that is where shame starts to develop because I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like, I cannot make sense of my experience. I'm Mm -hmm. still trying to make sense of my experience, but I know now to approach it from a place of like compassion and curiosity rather than, um, you know, I obviously still judge and I'm like, you know, just now I said, you know, something's wrong, but that's how it feels. Like, it doesn't feel like you said, Shadi, earlier. It just doesn't feel good. It's, it feels bad. I feel like I need to share. I did not have a village. I hadn't, I feel like everyone dropped the ball. <laughs> everyone made it about their own grief and no one gave a shit. I feel like I need to add that because I think there have to be people listening that have that same experience. Mm -hmm. And I know each of you are talking about having this village, and I I need to say I did not. I think that, you know, this speaks to those secondary losses that we spoke about, Um, but there were a lot of people close to my mom, obviously my dad, um, my grandparents, that just did not show up. They did not show up. And, you know, I look back and it's it's totally unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And I think my mom would think the same, especially knowing how many dear people she had in her life. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't about me. At the time, you don't know that, though. You know, it was about their own their own stuff. Of course. That being said, I, I do want to answer your question, Shadia. I was, like, trying to think of good... I think one thing I, I want to bring right now is that I think that what I have been given as far as my perspective as a mom is that I think that the most important thing in my life are my relationships. And that is the good that I have in my life now because of the pain that I experienced. <laughs> and the fallout with family after my mom died. It's the perspective I bring um, to my own family and to my own children. And I, you know, all the stuff, all the the trips or the items that we have, it just doesn't matter. It, you know, at the end of the day, what matters is our connection with other people. And that that's my focus. So that's the good. It makes so much more sense to me now why you founded She Climbs Mountains. Hmm. You've literally created a community for motherless daughters. I have my journal with it, you know, that tagline on it right there. I mean, to ensure that people aren't left hanging, you know, because people, I don't know if that's your, if that was the intention behind it. It, it makes a lot of sense now. You know, your experience propelled you to create something that a lot of people need. I didn't think about it that way. When I was doing it, it just kind of happened. <laughs> but <laughs> well, yeah, I think you're right. Probably you're right. One of my favorite quotes is, your purpose is hidden within your wounds. This idea that like your deepest wounds kind of inspire the creation of just something spectacular and that's obviously needed by others. Let's repeat that again. Your purpose is hidden in your wounds. Yeah. 
within your wound. It's by, I'm not sure how to pronounce their name, but it's R-U-N-E-L-A-Z-U-L-I, I think. I found it online a while back and it was my Instagram like tagline forever. And I was self-conscious about that actually for a while thinking, because people would say, you know, why are you staying like stuck in the past? But I really feel like when you've got some deep fucking wounds, like do something with them. Christine, I just wanted to say that I'm really grateful that you said that because I feel like you're right. Not everybody has a village or maybe people had a village and they don't now. That's all possible. I mean, life is hard and your relationships change, especially in family, obviously. So what are some ways that your family honors your mom? I'll start at my last family reunion. It was in Oregon at Sun River. Anyways, if you haven't been there, you should go there. It's an amazing resort. And it was actually, it's my mom's side of the family. And it was probably three years ago. So right after I started getting involved and dealing with, involved in She Climbs Mountains and dealing with my grief. So I came up with an idea of a remembrance ceremony for all of our family members that had passed. And I asked specific family members if they would um, stand up and say something about the person who had died. I mean, I wanted to vomit before it started. I felt so uncomfortable. Plus, I'm a crier. I knew I wasn't going to be able to get it together. Um, It ended up being really lovely just to hear. I mean, it wasn't just about my mom, but my grandparents. And I've had other aunts and cousins that have passed away. And I remember saying to my whole family, like, this is important that we talk about them and that we normalize death and remember people. Because my one of my biggest fears is that I'm going to be forgotten. And eventually, of course, generations down the road, I will be forgotten. But I think it was just really great to be having that open conversation with with my family or whatever. So yeah, everybody just stood up and said a few words. Some people said a few more than a few words. Um, but when it came to like actually talking about our mom, um, it was just my sister and I at that reunion. But we both, like, I think I, I, I was going to plan on talking and I couldn't, I just, it was just too much. Um, So I think my sister ended up talking because I was like, you know, hysterically crying. But either way, that was a big step. Anything you guys do? I love that you created that for you and your family. Thank you. Anyone else? I'm curious. We don't, it's just me and my brothers really. Early on, we never really did anything. And I would say now it's kind of, it's like text messages, right? Typically on her death date, we'll say something to one another, like thinking of you or or send pictures, holidays. My mom had a bunny mold for Easter. And so my brother Craig has that. And he and his daughter have made that cake on occasion and they'll send a picture of it. So I actually just thought of something. The 20th anniversary of her death, we did like a fundraiser actually for the Minnesota Ovarian Cancer Alliance. I forgot about that. Mm, my gosh. <laughs> I forgot about that. We raised like $5,000. It was kind of cool. Wow. Yeah, just with my friends up here in Minneapolis, my brothers came from where they live and forgot about that. And then actually for her 30th, we were all going to meet in Chicago where she's from and go to Montrose Harbor where her ashes were were scattered. But it was COVID, so we didn't get to do it. <laughs> I actually just thought of one more for myself quickly. <laughs> To incorporate my girls into remembering my mom, I had my husband create a lemonade stand. 
And um, yep, that was straight up Pinterest. And I was like, do you think you could make this, honey? So anyways, he made a, a lemonade stand and it's called the L plus lemonade for Layla and Madeira. And we go to like local baseball and softball games and they sell lemonade and chips and candy and crap. And all the money goes to what I always just say cancer research just to keep it generalized, but it goes to the lymphoma leukemia um, society. It's interesting because at these games, people then are like, well, did you know somebody? And I'm like, yeah, my mom, like, oh, when did she pass? And I think they think it's recent. And I'm always like, oh, and I was 13. And I'm like, oh, don't, we don't need to talk about it any further. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it felt like my dad used to be much more able to talk about my mom and his mental health and his memory has actually deteriorated tremendously since I was a kid. And so it's hard for me to even remember, like, whether he was in very intentional about, like, keeping her alive or if it was just he was kind of not in maybe in a little bit of denial, but just needed that, um, needed to hold on to her through me. He also acknowledged that she was dead and he would light a memorial candle once a year. And in the Jewish faith, it's called the Yurtzeit candle which I just looked up and it looks like a, there's a translation of like soul candle or something, which I didn't know. And it's so cool. He was really good about anniversaries and holidays. And I didn't appreciate that as much as I do now. I think it was uncomfortable for me as a kid and I didn't really want to acknowledge it in that way. And now it's really sadly ironic that he has pretty much lost his short-term memory. And so he doesn't remember anniversaries or those holidays. And I'm the one who's wanting to celebrate them. And so I'm trying to keep those traditions alive. But it is really sad that he's not really emotionally there with me. We never have really been on the same level. And I wish more people reached out to keep her alive. I think I've really maybe relied too much on other people doing that for me. So now I'm trying to create more traditions that feel good for myself. And it's not always being sad. It's like giving myself time to find relief from the sadness and not feeling shame or guilt for that. Sarah, have you ever done on her birthday, uh, like a Facebook post? It's funny you say that, yes, because that was the beginning of me reaching out for that support again. Because I think I'd realized it was gone because people weren't reaching out to me anymore. I was in college, so I feel like I was the only one remembering it. And I felt like no one in my life even knew about it. So, yeah, actually, Facebook was a really helpful way for me to name that and kind of inadvertently ask for that support just by saying, you know, you know, today is my mom's birthday and posting a picture and just, yeah, the outpouring of like comments I got was really, really nice. I've never done that, but I know a lot of women through She Climbs Mountains that have, and I feel like I've always been hesitant because I'm like, I don't know if I know anyone. No, I don't know if I know enough people that I'm connected with on Facebook that would even comment. So like it's prevented me, but just sitting here while you guys are talking about it, I'm like, oh my God, there's actually quite a few. I mean, they're, they're mostly my peers. I I think I always think of it like I would love it if it were my mom's friends or, you know, but I still think, I think I might do that. Her birthday's coming Mm -hmm. up on July 24th. So I think I'm going to do that. Give that a go. 
Do it. Because also kids' perspectives on your friend, you know, their friend's parents is always kind of fun to hear that. And she was she was a good one, so I know. 100%. Yeah. Agreed. Um, I feel like I don't really have much to add. And as I'm thinking about it, it's very sad to me. I am my own family. Like, I don't have any siblings. With my dad, we've never really, like, celebrated anything about my mom or really had conversations about it unless it was necessary. And I feel like he puts up a wall a lot of times. Mm -hmm. But I think that's also due to the nature of their relationship when she was alive. You know, they weren't together. There was some animosity. They're, you know, they weren't friends. Everything that I've done is kind of been, like, on my own. And I've had to, like, figure out how to do that. Like, I don't know. I feel like I've made some posts about it, like, when I was younger in college. But there are some things that my extended family does. You know, we have conversations. So more so in the last few years. And I feel like it's because I've gotten up. I mean, the courage to like say something because I want to talk about it. So much time was spent like avoiding me or avoiding the conversations because of like how I was grieving or our relationship, things like that, or because I was away. You know, once I left for college, it was like I'm just a, an island of Aaron out on my own. No one really tried to connect with me. So it's really only when like I'm around family for the holidays or, you know, someone invites me and my partner over for dinner. Right. So we'll sometimes bring it up. Um, and I love to hear that. I love to hear stories. That's my favorite way to remember her is to hear stories. And I so desperately want to hear them. And I so desperately want to hear more. And I wish that they would, this is getting into like a, well, this is how I wish my family was like, I wish my family would just talk to me themselves about it. I wish that they would make those connections. I wish they had spent the last several years doing that with me. So I didn't have to pull teeth to get it. So I didn't have to really seek it out. I want people to come to me. I want people to say, Hey, do you have space for this? This is a really cool story. Or like your mom used to do the same thing or like, Hey, here's this picture. That is my favorite way to remember her. And I so desperately want the people in my life, particularly family to do that with me for me. I so desperately crave it all of the time. And I wish that they would do it. And I think maybe some of it is they're uncomfortable with their own grief and trauma. And I think for a while, I, I look very much like her. I act very much like her. And I think that that's hard for some people. I think that it's hard for some people in the family. And then I, that makes me feel a certain way and it's not my fault. So, but, but there's nothing really special that happens. I just pick and choose, like I'll go through pictures or something, or, you know, I wear a pair for earrings or something. It's a lot of small things for me. It's a lot of small everyday things that I do or I talk about in order to bring her into my life and remember her. But I feel like it's also really small because like I've had to do it like all on my own. Like no one really mm -hmm. was memorial like remembering or memorializing her, like creating rituals for me. So I guess like I don't really know how to how to do that. And it's also just me. So like what's the point? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'll develop more. Maybe like when I have kids or something like that, that'll be something that I create more structure around. But it doesn't have a lot of structure right now, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay with I that. I love that 
you do just like everyday things. I feel like I need to do that more, you know? Um, I think it would just feel like she's more incorporated in my life and also not make it as hard. So, you know, when you start just incorporating little things every day, it just becomes less overwhelming and less scary to do. So I think that's actually really nice. And something I just want to throw out there, I know you're not asking for like advice or tips for our listeners, but I just wanted to say that as I have become more vocal about what I want and like, you know, how I want to remember my mom, kind of like Aaron's saying, it's like, it's a personal thing, like to communicate that to people so that they can honor that or, or do that for you. I guess specifically, I'm thinking in this case, like, my partner, Tony, has been really good about, like, he wouldn't know to do certain things to honor, say, my mom's birthday. But I let him know that it is really important to me that that day is different than the others. I was telling Christina this before we were recording um, last time, but he got me a cupcake the first year we were dating on her birthday. And it just like melted me. I was like, I felt this love and this like nurturing and just like being seen that I hadn't ever really experienced. And then this year he did it again. <laughs> and it, I hope he doesn't, he's not listening, but it didn't have the same impact. It was, it felt, um, it was different. And um, the fact that he had the intention was extremely meaningful. But that's all to say that, you know, it's evolving and to like continue communicating to the people you love, like how you want that support, how you want them to show up. I just want to reiterate that what Chadia said about appreciating what Aaron said, that every day, you know, I feel like I've brought up like some bigger things, but there are just those small moments. And I, I feel like I have those too. It's not every single day. Um, but definitely pretty frequently where I'm thinking of her and when I'm doing something, there's intention of honoring her, honestly. So that resonated. And I, I want to say that. Thank you for bringing that up, that it doesn't have to be like these big, big things that, you know, we're talking about fundraisers and stuff. It doesn't have to be, <laughs> it doesn't have to be that. And that, I mean, also as everyone was talking to, of course, like really the holidays were so important to my mom. And those, those times I really feel like I'm, I really feel her presence and I feel like I'm honoring her by continuing some of the traditions that were so fun when I was little and so meaningful to me and like passing those things on that passing those things on feels like a way of honoring her as well. Okay, so the last question that I'd like each of us to answer is, if your mom was here and still alive, what do you feel like your family dynamic would be? <laughs> Dag nabbit, that is just such a hard question. <laughs> <It's> Torture. <laughs> Torturing me. Ugh. I have like a fantasy envisioned in my head. Imagine that I would not be... Well, it's more so like I would be so much more confident. My self-esteem would be way higher, would be really smart. Um, like I would have retained a lot more information that I learned in school. So I would feel more competent in that regard. But I'm also aware that my mom and dad did not have a perfect relationship. I didn't know that until I got older um, and was told there was fighting Um so part of my fantasy is kind of ruined by that and knowing that there could have been divorce. 
honestly, maybe that would have been a good thing, but then that's taking the story and, you know, there's so many chapters that could be written. Um, I just see my, my life feeling a little bit more intact than it does, but I'm also fully aware that could be very not the case. Okay, so my family dynamic, I well, I would have never lived with my aunt and uncle. Like, I would have never had that, like, gray area family dynamic. We wouldn't have the relationship that we have right now. I would have continued living with my mom. I think about the things that I did or the places that I moved, like, where I went to college, like, multiple different, you know, I'm just like, a lot of these life experience things might not have happened to me a lot of the bad ones too, (laughs) because I would have actually had that person there, this like sounding board, this mother. But then I also think about like my relationship with my dad. I truly don't know what that would look like if my mom was still alive. Like if we hadn't have had to repair that after she died and just kind of what that would look like. I don't know. That's, that's something that I think about though is specifically my relationship with my dad and what that would look like. Um, but with other family, I mean, I feel like it would be like virtually the same. I mean, they're all just my extended family, but I also feel like maybe, I don't know, like certain family connections, not even just with me, but like with the extended family as a whole, I feel like certain connections might not have been broken in the ways that they've been broken over the years after she died or just different. It would be different. And I think I've said this before too, like she was very much like a person to like be intentional around like family connections and seeing people and calling people and creating spaces for people to connect with each other. And when she died, that like person who does it kind of went, so I, I think that a lot of it would be different like my extended family dynamic and probably my relationships with some of them. I'd probably be closer to some of them. I don't really know. It's really hard for me to think about because there's so many dynamics happening with extended family, but I I wonder, I wonder a lot. I have thought about this. I was very attached to my mother and this is prior to her being sick. I was very much a homebody. I wanted to be home wanted to be near her. And, you know, I wonder uh, if, if she wouldn't have died, how that would have continued to play out. I obviously became extremely independent after she died. And so I actually, in some ways, I'm grateful for that. I definitely think I would not have gone away to college as far as I did. I mean, it wasn't that far, still in the Midwest, but, you know, from Illinois to um, Minnesota, St. Olaf, I don't, I wouldn't, I don't think I would have done that. I think I would have stayed as close as possible to her. I mean, of course, I have no idea how, (laughs) right, how it would have played out, but, but how I was when she died, I was, you know, if that would have continued to play out, I think that. I just would have been extremely attached. My dad was gay, so I hope they would have gotten divorced. <laughs> I mm-hmm. really hope that. And I, I hope that she would have uh, connected with someone that was heterosexual. <laughs> uh, I, I want that. I would have wanted that for her. Um, 
And, you know, I've joked with my brothers that she would have moved to Minnesota. We would be neighbors. We would be best (laughs) friends. She would be the best grandma. Um, Yeah, I think she probably would have stayed in Illinois in the Chicago area. That was her home. I do also think the extended family would be closer. And there would have continued to be family gatherings with the larger group because of how my dad was in the world, you know, all of my mom's family really fell away from him. They didn't want to be connected with him because of, not because of his sexuality, but because of some of the dynamics that played out with how he behaved. And so there was a lot of tension there. And I think she would have continued to pull people together and, and she loved kids. So I know, you know, she would have really continued to try to foster the relationships with um, the cousins that we had. And I would certainly not be doing what I'm doing today. That's for sure. (laughs) I love that you said that you guys would be best friends and you would live next to each other. I think the same (laughs) thing about my mom. Like my mom would have moved to Minneapolis as soon as I did because she loved Minneapolis. She lived here in her twenties. Okay. So like, she would have been like, yep, moving with you where (laughs) like, let's go, like, let's go out. Let's have, you know, like living her best, like, single mother, but now my kid's out of the house. Like, you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think the same thing. Like we'd be best friends. Oh, I do too. I feel like my mom and I would have so many of the same interests, like the things that are trendy now that I'm gravitating towards. Like, I feel like she would too. Like we would shop at the co-op together. She would like also like <laughs> matcha tea lattes <laughs> and we would go walk around the lake and like Because that's the stuff she did with me. She grew up in Minneapolis also. And she would take me to the sculpture garden. I went to preschool right next to there. And I feel like she was super cool. And I, like, didn't get to experience that. But, I yeah, I have this, like, image of her. God, that's so cool that she did. I want to share, you know, in doing (laughs) workshops with women over the last seven years, I've had a lot of people say, you know, I I don't want to idealize what it would be. But I have gotten to the point of embracing that. Like, I get to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say this is what it would be, and it would be amazing. Just give me that. I'm gonna take that. That's a gift to me to create this story in my head of the bond that we would have. And I'm not gonna feel shame around that, or I'm not gonna question it. It just is what it is, and I'm taking it. (laughs) Yes. And then I, I I do what you're saying, Christine, and I, like, make that a part of yes. me. Like, that bond is, like, she is also, like, my best yes. friend in me and, like, my inner child and my inner parent. Like, all the things that give me support and this feeling of, like, love and, like, I can do it are yes. her. Yeah, same, same. We're going to wrap up here. Again, my gosh, there's just so much that we talked about with family relationships. We need like a two-hour podcast. Um, I learned so much from you ladies every time we talk. I am grateful to you for being so open and loving and honest with yourself and, and our listeners. Thank you for listening this week, everyone. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. We release new content every other Tuesday. Our next episode is all about dads. You can listen wherever you stream your podcasts. You can also find us at piecesofyoupodcast.com and on Instagram and Facebook at Pieces of You Podcast. 
If you love our pod, please rate and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Take care of yourselves. And remember, if we work together, we can make the broken better. When you feel like you need glue to put back pieces of you, then we will work together to make the broken better. When the wounds are fresh and new and you don't think that they'll heal soon, you gotta stay open. If you share your story, it will get better. Though it doesn't feel like ever and you'll get stronger. It's a journey we'll get through together. So let us lift you up. Let us keep you grounded. Do you feel our love? We'll make sure that you feel surrounded. Though the tears stream